Hello there, good morning. Uh, this is another Facebook Live video. Uh, today I wanted to talk about something cheery. So I'm gonna talk about the apocalypse. If you're watching live, uh, please do say hi. Let me know where you're listening in from. Uh, if you've got any questions or thoughts, feel free to share. Um, the reason why I'm interested in the apocalypse is partly because I'm doing a festival, my wake festival in April on that theme. So some of you know every year, and I've been doing it for about six years now, uh, I bring people from all over the world. We meet together in this place called the Cathedral Quarter in the, the cultural heart of Belfast. And for five days, we have tours and talks, uh, art, music, comedy. We conspire together around open fires, and we just really have a good time. And uh, it's a chance for me to show my favorite city in the world, um, and it's a chance for usually about 80 people uh, to just get to know each other and to try to live well, make new friendships. And uh, we have lots of people now who come every year. It's part of their, their pilgrimage is to Belfast. So um, we're heading year six and year six, the theme, because every year has a different theme. Year six, the theme is apocalypse. Um, <clears throat> so I'm gonna chat a little bit about, about what I mean by that. And then I'll maybe tell you a little bit more about what we'll be doing at the festival. Um, so in a nutshell, the word apocalypse means the, in a sense, the end of an old world and the beginning of a new world. Uh, an apocalypse is something that happens that is kind of unpredictable and utterly um, uh, changes your life. So, for example, there's things that we can predict. Uh, you have, may have a calendar, you know that you know, tomorrow you're going to go to work or you're, you've got a holiday coming up. So that's all predictable. And to a greater or lesser extent, most of our lives, you know, tick along and uh, we kind of know broadly what's going to happen. But in our lives, there are moments of apocalypse, things that happen that we could not have anticipated. And they can be wonderful things and they can be terrible things. It can be the death of someone we love. It can be news of a birth. Uh, it can be uh, like a, a a job loss or you know a job offer that came out of the blue, but something that you couldn't have predicted in your in your calendar that comes along and kind of changes everything. So that's kind of a, an apocalyptic moment. Now, at its most basic and kind of one dimensional level, an apocalypse is what transforms everything in the exterior world. So in Hollywood movies or whatever, you have aliens destroying the world. And so it's an apocalypse. Everything is destroyed. And then after the aliens have been defeated, we rebuild the world. Um, apocalypse is something that happens outside of us. Uh, but at a deeper level, uh, the, the idea of an apocalypse isn't just what transforms your external world. It's what transforms your inner world. And, uh, you know, a lot of movies, um, you know, film is a very good medium for exploring this. Uh, a lot of movies will have some apocalypse happening. And so at the, at the start, you, you think it's a war movie. Uh, but as the movie continues, you realize that this is really a movie about some of the characters in the war and how they are dealing with death and dealing with life and dealing with courage and fear. And the film is really about a, a radical internal change within them. So even take Star Wars, the, the first three movies, 
you know, it's an apocalyptic movie in the sense that the empire is, is uh, destroying the dem- democracy of the, the known universe, the uh, coal, uh, coalition of all of these different planets uh, that rule it. So that the, the empire is this, is this destructive force. Um, but as the films progress, we begin to realize, that, oh, that's just a, um, a background to the real apocalypse, which is a radical change in the figure of Darth Vader, that this is a family saga, and this is about the, a family breakdown and a family reconciliation. And so the movie ends when Darth Vader is redeemed, when he has this, this radical transformation in the very, the very core of his being. Um, th- this is actually beautifully captured in an old uh, story about the rabbi of Gur, who supposedly during the Second World War, he escaped Nazi Germany and he fled to uh, Britain. And he had a private audience with Winston Churchill. And this was before the British were involved in the war. Um, and the, 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 after the conversation, the rabbi says, you know, something has got to change. The Nazi war machine has to be destroyed. And Winston Churchill says, well, what do you want us to do about it? You know, what, what do you think the solution is? And the rabbi looked at him in the eye and said, well, there's, there's two ways that this could be resolved. The first is the, there's a, a natural way and then there's a supernatural way. Uh, and then the rabbi said, the, uh, the natural way that this will be solved is if a thousand or 10,000 angels with flaming swords descend upon Germany and crush the Nazi war machine. But the supernatural solution, the supernatural way that this can be solved is if 10,000 Englishmen parachute into Germany and destroy the Nazi war machine. Now, one way of interpreting what the rabbi meant is that if uh, 10,000 angels descended from the skies, that would be natural in the sense that it would be in the world of nature. You would see the angels, you would feel their swords, you'd be able to touch them, right? So it's, it would, these angels would be in the natural world, the natural realm. But a change in the hearts of the British, a change in the heart of the British government and the British people is supernatural because it's not something you can see. You know, you can't dissect somebody on a, on a, a slab and see the, the change in their, in their heart. It's, so in one sense, in a very, uh, it's, it sounds weird to use the word supernatural, but in a sense, it's like supernatural because it's, it's, it's in the realm of, the, of something you cannot touch, taste, or directly see. Uh, but you can see it indirectly in the results, in what occurs and what takes place. This actually, as an aside, is a good way of thinking about what the word miracle means in its deepest sense in the religious tradition, uh, that, you know, the miracles, say, in, in the Gospels, aren't someone's leg is fixed or someone rises from the dead or anything like that. All of those are always prerequisites. If you notice that, that, that they're always prerequisites to the true miracle, which is a, tr- a transformation in someone's heart, a transformation in the community life. So whenever you read the miracles, you go like, no, the miracle isn't the, isn't the lengthening of the leg or, or, or anything like that. The, um, because that's happening in the natural realm. The miracle is always pointed to 
indirectly in a change radically in how people relate to one another and how people love one another and how the community is forged. Um, so, so a miracle, in a sense, is a transformation in the way of being. This gets us to the heart of the, the idea of religious experience. Uh, people often think that a religious experience is an experience of something. So you have a religious experience, which means you feel something in your body, right? You feel different. Uh, but the truth is, first of all, if you want a religious experience like that, then you know, there's loads of ways to do that. Drink, take drugs, there's lots of things. You know, go to an art gallery. Um, but actually, uh, a, a religious experience can be described as not a, an experience of something, but of that which, ex, which transforms your experience of everything. So a religious experience is not that I experience 10 things in the world, and then I have suddenly have a religious experience, and now I experience 11 things. But rather, the religious experience transforms how I experience the 10 things that are already in my life. So in a weird sense, nothing changes. There's not a new experience. Rather, there's a reconfiguring in the very way I experience. Uh, this is why you know, it's called sometimes rebirth, second birth. Because if you think about it, birth is not something you experience. It's what opens you up to experience. So in, in a simpler way, you do not experience life. Life is what enables you to experience. So every time you try to kind of... Uh, reflect on what life is. Uh, there's all these problems arise and you either enter into a mind-body problem or kind of a reductivist problem. Um, but life, in a sense, is the site where we experience rather than what we experience. So when you talk about rebirth, you're not talking about a new experience, but you're rather talking about a new modality of experience, a new way of experiencing the world. So then to take it even further, then the idea is you have an inner apocalypse, which is an inner transformation in how you experience everything. And that changes your external world. So, you know, the, the first notion, the kind of the common religious notion of apocalypse is the external world is radically transformed. You know, the world will be destroyed and made new. But the one thing that doesn't change in that is me. It's just like, you know, I'm in the world, the world's going to be destroyed, and then I'm going to get everything I want in the next life or whatever, right? So that's that apocalypse. Then there's the apocalypse where the external world is radically changed, and that changes you. And then there is this notion that actually the religious experience is what changes you. And then the, the last one is, in a sense, the religious experience changes you, and that ultimately very slowly changes the world. It changes your world, how you engage with people. So it changes your family dynamic, your relationship dynamics. It changes your involvement in local politics. And if you're able to galvanize this change with a number of people, you can actually make significant uh, change at a cultural, religious, and political level. Um, and that's, that's partly my, in power theology. My work is about how do we create these micro societies of resistance, these communities where there is a radical transformation in the very mood of our desire, the very way that we relate to the world, that is itself radically transformative to the external world. And that's what, that's what we're going to explore in, in WAKE in April. 
So, you know, if, you, if you're interested in coming with us, we've got some fantastic people. We have Bruce Benson, who is this great philosopher. Uh, he's written numerous books. He's going to be joining us. We have Padraig Tuma, the poet and singer-songwriter, who has worked very extensively in peace and reconciliation studies and knows all about um, how, the, how we can be transformed. He, he was involved in a thing called the Forgiveness Project, which is very seminal in Northern Ireland, which was about how do we forgive and how do we enter into, you know, the natural world is where we pay hatred with hatred, violence with violence, bitterness with bitterness. But how do we short circuit that by, by, by paying back hatred with love and violence with forgiveness and fire with water? So Padraig is, is an expert in that. He'll be talking about that and, and doing some poetry and music. We have Gladys Gunnell, who is a sociologist who wrote an award-winning book on, uh, which included a deep dive into paro-theology, its work, uh, my own work, and how that is attempting to create transformation. We have Phil, Phil Harrison, who is a brilliant uh, director, writer, and author, whose debut feature film came out a few years ago called The Good Man, that is all about how we are intertwined with each other. He has a theological education, and um, the book is, or sorry, the movie is all about how uh, you know, people in different sides of the world are intertwined in a political system. Um, and his debut novel, which just came out a few months ago called The First Man, is about um, a fundamentalist preacher in Belfast and uh, a woman in New York who have this affair. And it's all about family dynamics, desire, drive, and transformation. We have um, uh, the musician uh, Alana Henderson, who is an incredible singer-songwriter. We have um, Angela um, uh, uh, Johnson, uh, who is an incredible musician from Nashville, who will be joining us. Uh, we also have Barry Taylor, who will be doing a talk on Nick Cave and the blossoming of Apocalypse. Uh, and all music and comedy and art. And we'll also go to the place where C.S. Lewis spent his honeymoon with joy. And uh, we're going to do some recreations of a seminal moment in his life uh, at that place. This beautiful, stunning inn that backs onto the forest that inspired Narnia, um, which, is, uh, which then backs onto this incredible beach. And uh, so in various ways, I want to look at, because I'll obviously be speaking as well, um, look at what does it mean to have an inner apocalypse that transfigures the very nature of the way we desire that transforms how we engage with one another and ourselves, our world, and how do we galvanize that in community, living out an alternative way of living uh, that is freed not to uh, pursue what will make us whole and complete, but freed from the pursuit of what will make us whole and complete, a type of, a type of community that is freed from the frenetic drives and pursuits of our world that cause so much violence and problems. And how do, we, how do we live deeply and joyfully in the world? And uh, we also try to actually create that. That's why I do it as a mini festival, because we, we don't just talk about it. We try to, for four, for five days, create that space, uh, live it out. Um, and, and so that in some ways, we take a little bit of that spirit back to our own places. Um, and, uh, you know, try to do that more in the places that we are. 
So there you go. That's, that's the apocalypse. That's a little bit about wake. One other thing I'm doing, which I'd like to tell you about, is at the beginning of April in Los Angeles, I'm also doing a all-day workshop, which will end with a little party as well um, in, uh, on, on the art of public speaking. Uh, you know, how do we improve as public speakers? How do we, you know, whether you're doing a wedding speech or you're a, a preacher or whatever, or you're in business and you have to give presentations, how do you do that? Also, how do you build an audience? Um, how do you, uh, how do you kind of make a living out of speaking if you would like to do that? So we're going to look at all of that in this all day workshop. So if you're interested in wake, uh, it's called wake by the way, because wake is a, is a kind of um, a death ritual in Ireland where after a funeral you have a wake and the wake is where you you'll drink together, you'll laugh together, you'll cry together, you mourn together. And the idea is that in, in doing that, you, you bring the dead person back, you carry the good side of them and move into the future. But you leave, you know, you leave the dead behind, but something of that, dead person remains living in the community as you mourn and as you remember. And in many ways, Wake is about doing that with our political, religious, and cultural backgrounds, where we're, we mourn something of the past that we've lost, but in mourning it and telling stories and laughing and drinking together, we also bring something good from that past into the future with us. So that's Wake. So if you're interested in Wake or you're interested in Soapbox, which is the public speaking workshop, just fire onto my website and uh, you'll find out more there, peterrollins.com. Okay, I'm going to very quickly look, see if you've got any comments about the apocalypse, and then um, I'll let you go about your day. Um, people listening from all over, UK, Dallas, Lubbock, Texas. Haha, <laughs> I've been there before. Um, Oh yeah, Becky says, just finished listening to you with Pete Enns. Yeah, I think that that, long, that came out today. I did a podcast with Pete Enns on the Bible. Um, I don't think I was particularly good on it. I, I feel like I should have been better. But, um, you know, there's probably hopefully still something of interest in the podcast. Uh, oh yeah, uh, Kimberly saying, your husband's doing atheism for Lent and loving it. Fantastic. I'm loving doing atheism for Lent. I just gave, as you know, um, a seminar yesterday on um, some of the great cr critiques of God, uh, looking particularly at David Hume and Epicurus. Um, so yeah, that was a lot of fun. So thanks for telling him. I'm glad he's enjoying it. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Question, Darlene says, in my 20s, I was pre-tribulation. This, this is very insight baseball, what you're saying. There's, although crazily, probably a lot of people listening will know what you're meaning. <laughs> but in your 20s, you were pre-tribulation. In your 30s, you were post-tribulation. And now you're no tribulation. What comes next? Well, what comes next is, is wake. Come there. That's the, that's the party. It's uh, after the uh, no tribulation. Um, it's all celebration. I don't know. Uh, that, that, that is a fascinating area. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit at Wake. Is the, um, where did the, this idea of the rapture come from? And uh, what, what, you know, and all of the, the, the thinking around it. I think there's some really interesting stuff about that. So maybe I'll give a talk about that at some stage. Oh, there's somebody listening from Belfast. That's, that's good to see. Um, and Thailand, my goodness, we've got every, everybody. All right. 
Let's see. Oh, that's lovely. You're not asking many questions. You're more telling me lovely things. Chris just said he finished a seminar with Jack Caputo and we talked about me. I love Jack. Jack Caputo is a philosopher who I so deeply respect. I respected him for years and then I got to know him and he became a friend. And uh, it's a friendship that I value deeply. And I really, I, I don't like recommending books to if I don't know you. Because if I don't know you, I don't know what you would like and I don't know what might benefit you. So I, I do, of course, recommend books. But whenever people ask me, I go like, well, I'm always in fear and trembling. But, but John Caputo is an exception. I go like, I really recommend his books. Uh, he wrote a beautiful book called On Religion. First book of his I ever read. Stunning. Um, and then uh, what, are, what are some of my other favorites? If you want to go into his more academic work, The Weakness of God is beautiful. The Folly of God. I actually wrote a foreword to um, his kind of autobiography. It's like a philosophical autobiography called Hoping Against Hope. That's a beautiful book as well. So anyway, so you, you were chatting to me. He said, I'm the best place for people, for someone who wants to get into radical theology. That is beautiful. Thank you, John Caputo. Uh, thank you, Chris, for telling me that. Um, I, I haven't seen uh, Jack for a while. and I hope he's, hope he's doing well. Um, Oh, yeah, Chris mentions the folly of God. It's very good. All right. Well, listen, thank you for joining me for this. I'm going to hopefully um, uh, bounce in again in the next couple of days. And uh, so if you've ever got themes that you'd like me to explore, do let me know. Um, we just launched another, dropped another fundamentalist podcast uh, where we look at nothing and the importance of nothing um, and uh, how the nothing is something that we all have to wrestle with. So if you're interested in that, check out the Fundamentalist podcast uh, on iTunes. Uh, do subscribe and all of that. Other than that, have a wonderful day, and I'll, uh, I'll talk to you all again soon. Thank you. Bye-bye.